Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. So, um, this morning, I want to talk to you about the downside of being too familiar. And um, it's somewhat abstract this morning, so you'll have to follow me. It's a word from the Lord, from the Word, the New Testament. And so, I want to begin by saying, a couple years ago when we came out of COVID, in fact, it was May 31st, Pentecost Sunday, 2020, we gathered and we reopened after being closed for six weeks and six Sundays and then in the parking lot for four through the month of May. And when we opened, I said that I felt like the Lord had spoken to me about some direction as we were opening up. You may remember, I think that morning it was 125, 150 people. It was really early for churches to, being op to be opening up, but we felt the clear, compelling word from the Lord was, it's time to open up. And we did, and God has been gracious to us, and he's protected us at, from the plagues, as Dr. Alves just shared. But the Lord said to me that we are to, and I shared with you, that we are to place a greater emphasis on Jesus, that we are to sing about Jesus, talk about Jesus, preach about Jesus, that we are to, how would we do that? And I said then, and it was at that point we reinstituted monthly communion. We did it about quarterly or on special events, special day, holidays. But I felt like the Lord was saying, start it again on every first Sunday of every month. But don't let the people get into a ritual of monthly communion. And so we did that. The second thing that the Lord spoke to me was about placing great emphasis on the word the Word of God. Now you may go, well, what church doesn't? Some don't. But, and, it, and I said then, it's very specific that the Lord said, don't give a lot of cute stories. Don't quote a lot of philosophers or don't let this be a TED talk in any way. Bring the pure, simple Word of God. And I shared with you. Isaiah 55, why do we do that? Well, God's word is the only thing that he said he will confirm it. We don't have to defend the truth. We just have to present the truth. His spirit comes and fulfills it, applies it to our hearts. And Isaiah 55, God says, my ways are higher than your ways. It doesn't mean more altitude. It means they're better. And God doesn't want our ways to stay poor. We are created in his image, so he wants to bring our ways up. And so what he did, he said, I will send my word and it will never return empty or void. It will accomplish what I intend for it to accomplish. In fact, he sent Jesus, the word, who came down to bring our ways up. And so for two years, I've done my best to just preach the word of God with the heart of God through prayer and the spirit, often with tears in my eyes because I can, feel, I can feel God's heart when I take the microphone and stand on this stage. It's a, it's a supernatural thing. He makes us oracles, a living epistle. And often I feel I hear him speaking when I'm holding the microphone. It's a, it's a remarkable thing. And that's, not, that's a biblical thing. We are oracles. And so 
This morning, when I talk about the downside of being too familiar, I want us to understand, looking back in two years, all we've done, there's not been leadership skill or, you know, crafty, nifty things that, that grew this church. We've exalted Jesus. We've worshiped him. And he said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw him in. And I know that meant to the cross. But it's also a dual meaning in worship. When we exalt him, he draws men and women to himself. And then when we preach the word, the Bible says, you know, the Bible teaches, if we'll preach the word, you'll never have to. If we preach the word in an anointed way, you're probably going to need to get more seats. You're going to have to put out some more seats. Because why? People are hungry Hungry for the word. I'm hungry for the word. And there's nothing like hearing the word preached with authority and anointing. Can I get a witness up in here? And, and so I'm no great preacher. I'm no great theologian. But I've done my best to be true to just presenting the word. And look what God has done. He's doing this right here. And it's a beautiful thing. And so this morning, I want to begin by just laying some groundwork. And John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, capital W. The Word was with God, the Word was God. What, who was he referring to? Jesus. Jesus is the Word. You want to get to know Jesus? It's right here. This is Jesus. Jesus' life, when he lived 33 years on planet Earth, was he was the Word, capital W. That was his personal pronoun. He was the Word. Think about that. The Word. Out of the abundance of God's heart, if you will, his mouth spoke and there was Jesus. And the Word came and it did two things. In the beginning was the Word. First, Jesus came under Roman oppression. And when I was in school in my undergrad studying the history of Christianity, I can remember as a young Bible student, I was 20, 21 years old by the time I took that upper level class, history of Christianity. And I, I had a sincere question. I was like, God, you, why, why would you send Jesus while the Jews are oppressed by the Romans? Why would you do that? Why not come when they're conquering? Like, right after Joshua leveled Jer Jericho, send Jesus then. And, you know, that's just the way my logical brain was working. And then as you mature, you realize, wow, God's people, the Jewish people, they've virtually always been oppressed by someone. If you study history. And so... Jesus, the word, came when they, while they were oppressed. Don't, as we lay groundwork, don't forget that. Jesus, the word, came while there was severe governmental, political pressure, oppressive, tyrannical pressure and oppression. He came. And so when he came, though, he did these two things. The first thing he did was he broke through oppression. He broke up religion 
religiosity. Don't miss this. Our, he, there was a system that was empty. It was ritual. It was, yeah, they were going to the synagogue, but they got tired of waiting for the Messiah. They were going through the routine, and religion had kicked in, and Jesus came in first under that oppression, he came in to break up that, that old, stale, empty, meaningless experience with God. He did that, and he's still doing it. He, this is why he was hard on church people, the, the Pharisees. His harshest stuff that he said in the Bible was to religious people. But he was so loving with the woman caught in the act of adultery, so loving with a woman who had been married five times, and he, in his first sermon, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you won't even enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's hard for us to understand that. But that's like someone coming up here and saying, to some degree, unless you become more spiritual than Pastor Chuck and Pastor Munn, you don't have a prayer. And you'd be like, they get paid to do this. They went to school to do this. They've done this a long time. And you would be like, but Jesus came to, to shake it up. And for them to go, oh, wow, we can't, we can't, not only can we not sleep with someone, that's adultery, if we look at someone lustfully. And Jesus was going, y'all been focused on keeping the outside of the cup clean but I'm going to deal with the inside. The outside is you go through the motions, you do the right stuff, you behave right, you go to church on the weekends, and you check that one off. And a lot of Christians are having a religious experience that day and this day. And what's the number one symptom of religious Christians? Lack of joy. Lack of fruit. No sense of fulfilling any destiny and so Jesus came to break up a religious experience and the second thing he came to do don't miss this okay he came to initiate the kingdom of God he had just been baptized we're getting ready to read a passage of scripture and it's right after he was baptized and he came up he was filled with the spirit 30 years old and he was finally beginning his public ministry and so he came under oppression everybody say the word oppression he came under oppression he broke up the religious wineskin that was leaking big time and then lastly he came to initiate the kingdom of God all right now as we begin this morning we're keeping our focus on Jesus. As I preached on Resurrection Sunday, um, Paul's words where he said, all the stuff I used to have, all that I am, all that I've achieved, he was like, that's rubbish. It's, and he used the bad word. And he said, but right now, all that matters to me is I want to, listen, know Christ, share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Listen, because in doing that, I will, somehow that will help me identify and really fully know him. And I want to learn how to overcome suffering that I might understand resurrection power. I want to experience resurrection power. Remember that just a couple weeks ago on Easter Sunday. 
And so I've been really caught up with this. I want to know Christ. And everybody look at me. You may go, Pastor Chuck, you're caught up with knowing Christ? You've been doing this a long time. You know Jesus. Yeah, I do know him. But, man, the more you get to know him, the more you realize how beautiful he is. Anybody experience? And, and getting, to, there are people here right now under the sound of my voice. And I don't mean this to sound judgmental. But I want it to sound an alarm, a wake-up call. There are a lot of people here. You may even be a Christian. You may be on your way to heaven. No doubt you are. But I don't know if you really know Jesus, his ways, understand his message, his word. And you're missing out on the joy of Christianity. And you may go, Pastor, how can you even say that? I know. I, I can't say that for sure. Can you be on your way to heaven and not know Jesus? That's a dangerous, slippery slope. But hear me. In this country, you can go to church, be a church member, an elder, a deacon. There are pastors. Over 60% of pastors right now view pornography, pornography regularly. Do you think people in their flock who can sit there and receive from that and think they're believers on their way to heaven? We might be more Presbyterian or Methodist or Baptist or Pentecostal or church, whatever than we are Christian. And as Jesus came, the word came under oppressive time, tyrannical pressure. And he broke up the religious ruts of the day. He broke it up. So that the kingdom of God, what's in heaven, can be released in the earth. Now, I, I don't have time to teach on the kingdom. But like this, what we're getting ready to read, this is the season. Jesus has been on planet earth for 30 years. And we see even his birth in Revelation chapter 12 says that Satan was there trying to take out Mary and Joseph. Revelation 12. Even his birth, there was incredible warfare and in his life and now he's 30 years old and he, he comes out of the wilderness after 40 days of fasting and Satan himself tempts him and now Jesus is the kingdom of God is being released oppression breaking up religiosity so that the kingdom could come now so our focus is on Jesus and it's, it, even focusing on Jesus, i got to tell a little story to help us be set free from, I know, the answer is Jesus. All right, Pastor Chuck just said, I'm going to preach on Jesus. All right, where's my iPhone? I'm going to, because I know about Jesus. I'm going to, oh, this, you know what I mean? It's like the little boy in the beginning. Um, one Sunday morning, a pastor of a small church was invited to a children's Sunday school class to share a lesson. The pastor, the senior pastor. And when all the children were seated quiet, for the sake of an illustration, the pastor began describing a squirrel. And he started out by saying, I'm going to describe something, and I want you to raise your hand when you know what it is. And the children nodded eagerly, moved up to the edge of their seat, and tuned in. And the pastor continued, This thing lives in a tree. And he paused. And it eats nuts. And he paused again. And it has a long, bushy tail. No hands went up. The pastor was shocked. He continued, but to no avail. And still, there were no hands. Finally, one little boy tentatively raised his hand, he said. And the pastor breathed a sigh of relief and called on him. And the boy said, well, it sounds 
an awful lot like a squirrel to me, but I know the answer is Jesus. <laughs> and uh, I know that's an old story, an old joke, but so easily we can get there, you know? Not even tune in. We're trying to get back to, I know what you're... So in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, I'm going to read a lengthy passage of Scripture, and then we're going to just distill three things down real quick, and then we're going to minister to each other. Luke 4, 14, then Jesus returned to Galilee, I want you to notice, filled with the Holy Spirit's power, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, wah, 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 he went as usual because he was a good Jewish boy to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures because he was a rabbi. And the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll of the 66 chapters and found the place where this was written from Isaiah 61, Messianic prophecy. And this is Jesus, the word, reading the word. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down, because that's what the rabbis did. They sat, everyone else remained standing as he taught. And the Bible says, all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them, and he said something that was just it was incredulous and he said this the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day everyone spoke well of him and what and they were amazed by the gracious words that came from his lip but then they said how how can this be isn't this joseph's son then he said jesus he gives him a one of the uh, proverbs you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb and jesus somewhat sarcastically physician heal yourself meaning Hey, won't you do here in your hometown the miracles we've heard you did over in Capernaum? But I tell you the truth, Jesus says, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. Pay attention to this. He's now teaching and he's going somewhere. They interrupt his sermon, but he starts it. When the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them in Israel. No, he went to a Gentile, a foreigner, a widow in Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of Elijah's follower, Elisha. But the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious, jumping up. They interrupted his sermon. They mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. And where they didn't welcome him in Nazareth, Capernaum welcomes him. And there too, in verse 32, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. Once when he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, cried out, shouting. Isn't it interesting that it's in the church, the synagogue, the freshest, most up-to-date, relevant move of God in the earth, the synagogue, 
There's a person there bound spiritually. Notice that. As the kingdom hasn't been released, it's now being released and things are being exposed. Verse 34, and the demon says, go away. Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. And remember, this is a demon speaking through a man. And he says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. The Jewish people in Jesus' hometown, they thought he was just Joseph's son, the carpenter. But the demon goes, I know who you are. And he says the truth. Jesus, verse 35, reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the demon threw the man to the floor as the crowd watched. Then it came out of him without hurting him further. Amazed, the people exclaimed, what authority and power this man's words possess. Even evil spirits obey him and they flee at his command. The news about Jesus spread through every village in the entire region. Now, if you have your Bibles open, even if you don't, just everybody look here. So this is right after Jesus baptized. He's beginning his earthly ministry. And the first verse of this chapter says this. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and says it again. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then in verse 14, we see again, he says, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit's power, Jesus. Now, don't underestimate that. And I know some of you go, ah, he didn't, they didn't have to say that. They put that in there for the Pentecostals, you know. They put that in there so Pastor Chuck would have something to say one more time to talk about Holy Spirit. You know, why we ought to be open to the Holy Spirit, you know. Don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself. This is Jesus beginning his ministry. And three times in 14 verses, the word of God says, he was filled with the Spirit. For you to break through oppression, to break through free from religion, and for you to see the kingdom released in your life, marriage, and family, you're going to need to be open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pause and let you all catch up and realize that what I just said was worth a good, hearty, loud Pentecostal. Amen! Now, thank you. Three things. First, let's realize this. When Jesus takes the scroll, this is a Kairos moment. He stands up and reads the Messianic prophecy about what the Messiah's mission was, what his job description was. And then he basically says, Jesus says, this is that. This, me, I'm that. And this was a big Kairos moment. A Kairos moment is defined by the right critical or opportune moment. Now, I've preached a whole series on Kairos, understanding Kairos moments. Because Christian people, we're not good at recognizing Kairos moments. And the alternative is Kronos moments. That's like tick-tock, tick-tock, minutes, hours, hours, days, days, weeks, weeks, months, months, years, law calendar, decade, and we like Kronos. In fact, because we like to be in control and know what's coming, we don't like what I call 
boom moments. We would prefer to know what's coming, to not be stretched, because a Kairos moment will stretch you. It will shift things in your life. And Kairos moments bring opportunities for revelation, where you can get, listen, gain an understanding that will change your life. Kairos moments. And we're in a Kairos season as people on planet Earth. There is a shifting. We're all being stretched. And we'd like to go back to the old normal, but there is a revelation that God wants us to see that lifts oppression, that sets us free from religion, and allows the kingdom to come. Because God's timing is, God, do you, were you aware that Caesar was Lord when Jesus the Lord was born? Are you aware, God? Let me ask you something. Do you think in this crazy, evil world where leaders and imposters are being exposed and they're trying to change the very nature of who we are, do you think the sovereign, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God of the world is unaware? He's not. And while we're in our TikTok world, God has a boom happening. And may we be aware in this Cairo season. Now, don't be, let me just say, recognize the Kairos moment. In Mark chapter 4, there's one. And it's when the disciples were on the boat. And just hear me, listen closely. The Bible describes there was a fierce storm. And there were high waves breaking into the boat. And the boat began to fill with water. And Jesus was on the boat, but he was sleeping. Because there was a Kairos moment coming that would bring revelation that would shift and change the disciples. He's sleeping. They woke Jesus up, and he stood up in the fierce storm where the waves were causing the boat to capsize, and he spoke. And he said this, Be silent. Be still. And the Bible says, Suddenly, the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. How many of you love for your fierce storm to let the word say a word to your storm that brings a sudden great calmness? Because that's the picture. And then what did the disciples do? The Bible says in Mark chapter 4, the disciples, look, in the in New Living Translation, says they were absolutely terrified and they asked, who is this? That's a Kairos revelation. They weren't going, wait, I thought that was Jesus. That's not at all what they're saying. They're going, man, I thought I knew him. I thought I knew Christ. He just spoke to that storm. The word woke up and spoke a word. And suddenly, look at this. God has us in a divine moment. He has me in a divine moment going, you think you know me. I'm getting ready to show 
part of me you've never seen. I'm getting ready to reveal that I am a right now God and I can handle it. If you're going to praise him, come on, let's give God. Let's just thank him for his word. Thank him for his word that speaks to us. Second, what we see in this passage is it's a Kairos moment happening in a familiar place or a too familiar, overly familiar place. It's actually a Kairos moment happening in the wrong place because the people in the place were in the right place, but they weren't open to what God wanted to do. Second thing we see here is Kairos moment happening in an all too familiar place. It's the Messiah in his boyhood home. Everyone spoke well of him, verse 25 says, and were amazed, the words that came from his lip. How can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? And then everybody listen right here. He began to teach. What was he teaching? This is where it gets a little bit abstract, and you got to listen closely. When you dive into this text, you go, he started teaching something that they needed to hear, but didn't want to hear. He said, Elijah, there was no rain, and there were famines all over. Nobody had anything to eat in all of Israel. And there were many widows in Israel. But because Elijah didn't preach a popular message, nobody wanted to hear from Elijah. Nobody was open. He didn't get any invitations. Nobody followed him on Instagram. So God sent him out to a widow in Zarephath, a Gentile. And they get, they get, they rise up. And not only Elijah, but Elisha, the same thing. He's, Jesus says, there were lepers all over Jerusalem, all throughout Israel. But did God use Elijah to perform, Elisha to perform a miracle that brought healing to anybody in Jerusalem? No. He sent him out to a Syrian, a Gentile. Naaman and healed him and at that point the, the crowd said that's it enough they cut off his sermon where's he going he's probably getting ready to say don't be like those people I just read this is that but they interrupt him and they get ready to take him out and throw him off of a cliff in his own hometown the Messiah St. Augustine said about this passage, they love the truth when it enlightens them, but hate truth when it accuses them. This happens. Brothers and sisters, could we be too familiar? Could we love our chronos moments when God's trying to break in and give us a new revelation of who he is and what he's doing in the earth? In Matthew chapter 13, we see something very similar. Verse 53 says, when Jesus had finished the parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began to teach the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Again, he's back in his hometown. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, he asked. It, it, that, isn't that the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brother? You've seen his brothers. That's the most dysfunctional, the Messiah, the son whatever aren't all his sisters when did this man get all and the Bible says look verse 57 they took offense at him 
But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And look what 58 says. Brings me to my next point. Verse 58 says, And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. I got a whole, I got a, I got stuff stirring up in me. I haven't studied. Everybody listen. Even Jesus, they said, from Bethlehem? Andrew and Peter, early on in John 1, they go, Andrew goes and goes, you, Peter, y'all have seen Chosen. I think, I think we found the Messiah. Peter goes. Then they get Philip. And Philip go, or they get Nathaniel, and Nathaniel goes and get, no, it's actually, they get Philip. Then they go get Nathaniel, and Nathaniel goes, who? From where? And he goes, has anything good ever come out of Nazareth? Have you lost your mind? Listen, there might, it might be your family. It might be your family that people, and even you go, I'm doomed. This stinks for me. The spiritual stuff I've inherited. And God would say to you right now, get out of the tick-tock, tick-tock. He comes to stand up in your fierce storm and your weakened identity and say, you are my beloved son or daughter. And he will calm that storm. He will speak into that situation. Yes. He is from Nazareth. Yes, he's from Galilee. If we are 55 miles north of Jerusalem, podunk, are you kidding? That's how our God works. I got to move on, even though I don't want to. Be careful of getting in a routine. Be careful of figuring it out. North Atlantans, college educated, master's degree, big 401k, suburbs, be careful. Be careful of having it all figured out. Why? Because the third thing is the familiarity limits the word. Your being too familiar can limit the word. The over-familiarity, the lack of honor, the ho-hum mindset focused on tradition, religious habit that makes you inflexible, and even defensive mindset, it limits what the word can do in your life and in your situation. Look what, what we see here. Jesus takes that messianic, that passage from Isaiah 61, and he says these five things. First, he says, hey, the Spirit of the Lord's on me to bring good news to poor people. Poor people, you're getting ready to receive something that not only you could never afford, no one can afford. And I'm bringing good news to poor people. Secondly, he says, those who are imprisoned, captives, whatever it is that imprisons you, what happened to you, that divorce, that illness, that emotional wound, whatever it is, Jesus, he says, I've come to set captives free. Blind people, you're going to get to see again. Now, everybody listen. You think he's talking about people who were blinded. They literally couldn't see. There were just very few blinded people in the first century. 
prophet right here is speaking about he will heal physical blindness and he will heal relational, emotional, spiritual blindness. Everybody hear me. Who knows how, what the percentage of people in this room who can't see what God's trying to show you. It's a lot. And so we shrink back and we don't worship passion. We don't serve faithfully because we think, ah, God's forgot about me and it's TikTok. That's the rest of my life. And, the, and Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to give good news to poor people, set captives free, and help blind people, spiritually blind people, religious people, see again. May we see what? See what God wants to show us in the realm of the Spirit. See the things, that, the dreams that God has for us, for our marriage, for our children. Don't think I'm crazy. I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. Y'all know me. I hate religion. I hate empty, vain ritual. In the realm of the Spirit, oh, I hear the voice of God. I see the technicolor prophetic dreams. I see things that God wants to do in the earth. I see things He wants to do in our community. And they're crazy, impossible, except our God is an amazing, awesome God. You know, may you see those things. And then he said, at the end, he said, um, people who are oppressed, weighed down with anxiety, weighed down with, tormented by what they've been through, they're going to be set free. And here's the last big one. Everybody look right here. The thing he said at the end, he goes, and I've come to release the Lord's favor. The Lord's favor. Have you ever experienced two minutes of the Lord's favor? The Lord's favor is when you go, it's not fair. I didn't do anything to deserve it. It's what we were talking about. Just go build a bigger barn, quit arguing, shut up. Don't talk, don't talk anybody out of it. God's just pouring out blessing and favor. Brothers and sisters, you qualify for the favor of the Lord on your life. Don't live like a pauper. Don't live like a, an orphan-spirited person who just shrinks back and is spiritually shy and so timid like poor old humble you. No. Now, I'm not saying stand up and act like you're all that in a bag of chips, but I'm saying somewhere in the middle there, God's wanting to call your name and let you know there's a season of favor he wants to just unleash on your life. What's that like, Pastor Chuck? It's like when the people around you see God's favor on your life, they want to go, what have you done? That's not fair. And you can say, I know. It's not. Or y'all, anybody know a little bit of what, what I'm talking about? I was talking with um, Mike Adkins yesterday, the couple that pastors us. And he told me, he said, Pastor Chuck, I just want you to know, Patty and I are praying for you and Candace every day in your church. And I said to him, I said, Mike, I know it. We feel it. A lot of people in our church are praying for us and for our church. And I said, and that's why we're enjoying such an extended season of favor. Don't feel guilty about the favor as God begins to bless. I just, right now, in the name of Jesus, we take authority. And, and that spirit that would go, Jesus, halfway through your sermon, time out. Stop talking like that. That spirit that would get you to have to go, I need, I need, 
I'm getting uncomfortable. I need to go use the bathroom. That spirit, where's my iPhone? There's spirits that come in and try and get you in that TikTok routine when God's coming in and trying to boom your life and awaken you to a season of great favor. You know, oh, I'm going to quit here in the next five minutes, okay? I'm, I'm in Nashville, and Jimmy Darts. I don't know if anybody follows Jimmy Darts. If you don't, you should. It's just crazy. So he's sitting during COVID, young man, his dad goes, and he's bummed out. And his dad goes, well, Jimmy, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to raise money and give it away to people who need it in the name of Jesus. And he goes, well, what's stopping you? He got out in this Kairos moment and started ministering to homeless people. I don't know how many millions of followers he has on TikTok. And he's given away literally millions of dollars to people. He's gotten hundreds of people off the street, gainfully employed, delivered, set free. How many of you thank God for, you're like, no, no, I don't want a Kairos moment. I don't want a shutdown. I don't want a, what if God is trying to break into your season and show you things that you're, they're there, but you don't see them. Because they're there. He wants the blinded eyes to be open. I'm going to close with this story right here. Oh, Lord, I just sense life and freedom and liberty. The spirit of the risen Savior, the Messiah, is here. He's come to set us free, to make, give good news to poor people. Release favor, release favor. Give us eyesight, spiritual sight again. You know, growing up in Virginia, um, I, I think Virginia is the pretty, I've been here since 89, more than half of my life, but I still think Virginia is the prettiest state. And we don't have to argue about it. You're free to be wrong. Um, <laughs> but if you've driven along Interstate 81, I-64 in the fall colors in like we don't have pine trees in Virginia like you can't find them they're all hardwoods and in October in November I'm a toucher I'm a feeler I, I see things feel things hear things that most people don't and it's just the way God wired me and I can remember as a kid just growing up watching hardwood trees and I know I'm weird as a you know junior higher and then into high school, but watching a, heart, a sugar maple go from green to red to orange to yellow, back to orange, then red, and then the leaves fall off. It just did something to me. And I, I would talk about it so often. I can remember in high school, some of my friends going, Ramsey, would you stop talking about the trees already? <laughs> and then one of them saying, you know what? I've never even noticed them. I'm like, and he thanked me for months later, him learning to appreciate things that were glorious. And I, I'm a touchy, feely kind of guy. I've told you this before. I've had dreams over the last almost 30 years in our marriage, nightmares that I'll wake up and in, in, in our dream. I, it's crazy, I know. I'll dream that Candace and I broke up. Like we were going together and we broke up. And I'm like, in my dream, honey, we can't break up. We have seven kids. 
seriously. And I'll wake up and I'll look across and I'll go, and there's a new appreciation and I'll just look at her sometimes and go, oh God, I'm so thankful that was a dream. A couple months ago, I was just overwhelmed one morning. I just looked in the closet. We were both getting ready and I said, honey, I just want you to know. And I say it before, not just here, but you know I said it there. I'm so glad you're my wife. I'm so fortunate. I'm so lucky. You know, because there's seasons where you take each other for granted. May we be awakened to the glorious message of who Jesus is. He comes to release favor in our lives. We don't des I don't deserve it. I don't deserve Candace. She's a treasure. She's a gift to me. But God wants to bless. pray for her because she doesn't deserve me either, but it's a kind of different doesn't deserve, you know what I mean? But don't be long. We're in a Kairos moment. Don't let it be a missed one. Because if you do, you can miss a season of favor upon your life. And even this morning, as I started this sermon, the word comes in an oppressive season maybe for you to break up religious habits so that the kingdom might be released in your life in the name of Jesus come on let's stand I, I want to pray spiritually this morning as I, as I get ready to release you in the name of Jesus we just take authority in the realm of the spirit may nobody get in their car this morning and go home and I, I like restoration that was good good sermon today you know unchanged may we not get in our car drive off this property hey honey that was good I like Pastor Chuck you know may the word of the Messiah come in our oppression break off religious so that the kingdom the kingdom What's in heaven? Listen, what is the kingdom? The blueprint God has for your life. May it be released in your life. And may it reverse Satan's plan and torment in your life in the name of Jesus. Come on, if you're going to praise him. Come on, lift up. Hallelujah. And so, Father, we stand here this morning and as a shepherd of this precious flock of hungry people, authentic Christians who want 100%. They pull the word out of it. They go, yes, I want that. That's why I'm here. And you are never unfaithful. You are always faithful. Your word speaks and it makes our ways better, more like your ways. And I pray into every family. I just sense right now, families, marriages who are raising special needs children, I pray a supernatural release of grace and strength and purpose. And over those children, many of whom are adults, 
We thank you for the treasure as they were created in your image. We pray, Father God, that you would release favor and whatever it looks like in their life. Release it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Over marriages, over homes, and over our church, Lord, break through any religious approach, break through any sense of performance, entertainment, any wineskin that's leaking. We pray, Father, that your word would break through so that your kingdom might come through in the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Come on, if you want spiritual liberty, spiritual freedom, the release of his favor in your life, just lift your hands and declare it. Tell the Lord, Lord, I want it. Come on, tell the Lord, I want it. Don't be like Nazareth. Be like Capernaum. Come on, welcome home, Jesus. If they won't take you and your message, we welcome your message here. We'll sit here all day and listen to your word, Father. And we just thank you for it, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, may you this week, may you get in the word. May you spend time in the word. May you read the Bible and let God speak to you. And in that fierce storm, let him release calmness, things that are of his hand and of his kingdom in your life. Are y'all understanding? I'm saying more than I'm saying. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? In the name of Jesus, we pray. So may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May he lift his countenance upon you and give you great peace that brings great calm in Jesus' name. Come on, yell it out. I receive it, Lord. In Jesus' name. Y'all go and be blessed. Go change the world in Jesus' name. Amen.